0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, a little early to all of you. Uh, today we're going to continue our overachieving Advent focus. That's the way Mario described it last week. Since we start Advent before Thanksgiving, focus on a new series titled "The Titles of the Christ." And I'm not sure if it's necessary to say, but just to be safe, a Christ is and of itself a title given to Jesus. Christ is a title that means anointed one, chosen one, and it's nearly one of 200 names and titles given to Jesus throughout the Bible. Sometimes Jesus Christ is said in a way that makes it sound like Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. That is not correct. Jesus is his name. People didn't start getting last names until much later in history. So God willing, we're going to spend the next six weeks leading up to Christmas, looking at the various titles given to Christ, Jesus. Let me say it at the start. It's true. Jesus is the most important human being to have ever lived, and that will never change. Therefore, people, all people, Christians, non-Christians, should know as much as they possibly can about him. One of the goals of this series, one of the things we want to see here, is that as we look at the titles of Jesus, that it will help us to have a bigger view of Jesus, a better appreciation for him. So in this series, as we look at the different titles, we're going to better understand, I hope that we can better understand Jesus from different angles, different facets, different viewpoints. So last week, Mario kicked off the series with Jesus is Prophet. Right. He summed that sermon up in six words. Jesus is prophet. Listen to him. That was his sermon that Jesus, the greatest of all prophets, he brings God's words to us. And once we hear those words, we are to listen and to obey those words. Oh, sidetrack real, real fast. Remember he ended the sermon with one of our ladies in the congregation who got, uh, got a ticket for hitting someone last week and so went on to like a 40-minute conversation and the person that got hit ended up paying the ticket and said, oh, I'm going to pay for the ticket. And this is this back and forth. No, no, you can't do all that stuff like that. Remember all that? Yeah. Well, I, I saw that lady this morning and I saw the check. She's like, she really sent me the check? <laughs> Pretty good stuff. So that was, that was all of... of uh, of last week. So this morning, we're moving to a new title, and it is this. Jesus is priest. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus is the mediator between God and people. Jesus is the bridge. He is our middleman. And that is extremely significant because only Jesus can connect humanity with a relationship with God. I was thinking through of like in John 14, Jesus was having a very similar conversation with Thomas. And he was saying to him, a verse that we commonly hear all the time, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said these words, no one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. So before we look at Jesus as the priest in the New Testament, I want us to look at the role of the priest in the Old Testament. Certainly time is not going to allow us to do a very deep, deep study on priests and their functions, but I do think a quick look at their role about them will help us better understand Jesus as priest here in the New Testament. So priests, they're mentioned over 780 times throughout the Bible. They have a very prominent role, especially in the Old Testament. All priests come from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites are priests. Aaron was the very first priest. He was the brother of Moses. Everybody remember Moses? The guy there with Israel, led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. His brother Aaron was the first priest. So in a nutshell, Aaron and his descendants, they were assigned as priests in Israel, and they served, they ministered in the tabernacle. That would have been like a portable building, almost like a very glorified uh, tent-like building there. And then once the temple was built, they served there. And their primary role all the way through was to be a mediator between people and God. And their job, their duty, was to create or was to make the sacrifices for the sins of people required by law. When a person sinned, it was the priest's responsibility to offer a blood sacrifice of some kind of animal. Very gruesome, a lot of blood, a lot of guts, a lot of. Okay? And in doing so, this sacrifice would cover a person's sin and remove his or her guilt. The book of Leviticus is full of examples where we see this type of pattern going on. And I want us to look at a few of them this morning as we go. Leviticus 6, verses 2 through 7 be the first one we look at. And it says this, When someone sins and offends the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in regards to a deposit, a security, or a robbery, or defrauds his neighbor, or finds something lost and lies about it, or swears falsely about any of the sinful things a person may do, once he has sinned and acknowledged his guilt, he must return what he stole or defrauded, or the deposit entrusted to him, or the lost item he found, or anything else about which he swore falsely he must make full restitution for it and add a fifth of its value to it. He used to pay its owner on the day he acknowledges his guilt. So, so far in these verses two through five, we have if a person sins against another person, they have to make it right. They have to return what was stolen and add a fifth to it. So if you stole a hundred bucks, now you owe a hundred and such math majors. Very good, 120. So there's a penalty that's implied. And once you did that, you were good. This way, you have fixed the problem horizontally. But now look at verse six. Then, as soon as he pays it back, returns it, he must bring his restitution offering to the Lord, an unblemished ram from the flock according to your assessment of its value as a restitution offering to the priest. Verse 7, in this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for anything he may have done to incur guilt. There are several important words used in the Bible that speak of a way that a sinner is made right with God. Atonement is one of them. We need to know that word. In our Christian faith, we need to know what atonement means, what it is. It literally means to cover or to take away. The job of the Old Testament priest was to act as a mediator between the people and God by offering sacrifices to God that would make atonement, cover, take away their sins, and take away their guilt. That's what the pattern that we see all throughout Leviticus. Here's some more of them found in two chapters earlier in Leviticus chapter four. I'm gonna give you just kind of the main lines as we go, and I want you to see this pattern. It's starting in verse 22. When a leader sins and unintentionally violates any of the commands of the Lord, his God, by doing what is prohibited and incurs guilt, verse 23, he is to bring an unblemished male goat as his offering. Verse 26, in this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf for that person's sin and he will be forgiven. Same pattern again in verse 27, but now not the leaders. Now in verse 27, now if any common people sin unintentionally by violating one of the Lord's commands, does what is prohibited and incurs guilt. Verse 28, he is to bring an unblemished, not male goat, but this time an unblemished female goat as his offering for the sin that he has committed. Verse 31, and in this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf And he will be forgiven. This was the daily practice for priests to every day, twice a day, morning and evening, be about sacrificing, being about being a mediator between people and God. And then, as if that wasn't enough, there was one additional day where it was a big, big event. Leviticus 16 talks about it. It's a once in a year event called the Day of Atonement. Here, no ordinary priest could do this. Only the high priest could oversee this event. And just as the name implies, high priest, it's because he was a higher ranking priest than all of the other priests. It could not happen just any old day that the high priest chose, like, oh, today would be a good day. Let's do it here and let's do it over there. No way. Very detailed. Everyone knew this ceremony was to not be taken lightly. Everyone knew that this ceremony, this event, this day of atonement was going to be done God's way. Like he had laid out a complete plan. This is how it works. It's all in Leviticus 16. Detailed instructions on how God demanded the day to be done. The high priest, he would enter into a special area called the Holies of Holies. It was the dwelling place of God. He could only enter this one time a year. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, had he better follow the plan to its tiniest details. It's a one-step mistake and death happens. That's how serious this is that God has laid out for us. All of these 34 verses. And then at the very end, verse 34 has this, phrase, this sentence to it. It ends the chapter. This is to be a permanent statute for you. To make atonement for the Israelites once a year because of all of their sins. And all of this was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So the priest would daily act as a mediator between people and God. And then a high priest one time a year would act the same way. This they did year after year after year, priest after priest, high priest after high priest. This was the way of life for them. This is how they were mediating between God and the people. So that's the Old Testament role of prophets. Now, jump ahead to the New Testament and we're going to see Jesus as priest and why that matters. It's in Hebrews chapter nine. It's one of the places that we talk about. Uh, It talks about the Old Testament and the functions of the high priest. So again, now, the people in this day, they would understand what was happening when they used this type of language of a high priest. Today, we sit here and go, high priest, I'm not quite sure. Well, culturally-wise, we don't have this role, right, in our daily, daily, everyday life for us. But here in Hebrews 9, they would know about this. So verse 1, now, the first covenant, that's another name for the Old Testament, It also had regulations for ministry and earthly sanctuary. It had lots and lots of rules, lots of guidelines here. Verse 2, For a tabernacle was set up, that's that movable tent, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were a lampstand, the table, and the presentation of loaves. Behind the second curtain, the tabernacle was called the most holy place. It contained the gold altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tables of the covenant. The cherubim of the glory were above it and overshadowing the mercy seat. And then I really appreciate the end of the verse. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. So just as I said we can't take, we're not going to take, take the time to make a deep dive, hard study into these details of the tabernacle and the priestly duties. Apparently that's okay to say because the author of Hebrews did it. And so we are going to say the same thing this morning. But I want us to jump down to verse 11 because this is where it really matters. But the Messiah, that's another title for Jesus. But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation, probably a reference to heaven. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus is priest, but it's even better than that. Jesus is high priest, but it's even better than that. Jesus is the great high priest. But it's even better than that. Jesus is our great high priest. And it does not get any better than that. That is the matter of Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 13 here. Why does it matter that Jesus is our great high priest? There's a lot of reasons that we can add. I'm going to give two. One's pretty simple, especially for the animal lovers in here. It means no more dead animals. When you think about it, millions of gallons of blood had been shed by all of these animals. Sheep, goats, rams, turtle doves, on and on and on. And none of it was good enough for eternal forgiveness. Which means, the more important reason, look at verse 12 again. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. What kind of redemption? Eternal. <sighs> just like the first group, Eternal. What kind of redemption? Eternal. 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 Mario, you're going to watch this probably on Monday. Eternal. The blood of animals isn't good enough for eternity, but the blood of Jesus is. That's the main point, because Jesus is 100% without blemish. He is 100% without defilement. He is 100% without sin. He is 100% perfect. He is 100% the complete package. Turn back a couple of pages in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. It keeps getting better and better that Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, so there we have it named. We have this great high priest. His name is Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast to the confession. That's another way of saying, (coughs) excuse me, it's another way of saying, let us keep believing. Let us keep trusting Jesus as high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but, One who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. There it is again, another reference to his perfectness. Another reason, another supporting verse here of why he is the most important person who has ever lived. Another reason to follow him, not trust him. And then verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Notice, it is not a throne of wrath. But grace. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Jesus is presented as the high priest that we can approach and that he will help us with whatever our need may be. And we can trust him. Why can we trust him? Because he has walked in our very shoes. He knows all of the fears. He knows all of the pains. He knows all of the rejections. He knows all of the disappointments of life, just as we have experienced them and know them. Outside of sinning, there is not one thing in your life that Jesus can't understand because he went through this very same thing as you and I do. And I'm not sure that we always believe that. I mean, it's Jesus, God's son. It's got to be easier, right? You think you come from a dysfunctional family? Jesus knows dysfunctional family. If you think through, okay, Jesus growing up, here he is, I don't know, upper elementary, younger middle school age, I know they didn't have that designation probably at at his lifetime i can just see him growing up as a boy and just being ridiculed to death all the snide remarks of how he was born illegitimately neighbor kids just mean and then jesus trying to explain i i I wasn't born illegitimately the holy spirit impregnated my mom like that is not going to go well And all the remarks, all the jeering, all the jokes. It is very true to say. It's ugly to say, it's hard to say, but it's true. Jesus grew up being called a bastard. And with all the snickering and finger pointing that comes with it, Jesus knows dysfunctional family. Jesus knows financial difficulties. Jesus knew what it was like to live in poverty. He knew hard work, hard manual work. The idea that he lived maybe a soft, sleep in, go on vacation, easy lifestyle, it's not true. That was not his lifestyle. If Joseph, his earthly father, if, if he died at a young age that most suggest he did, I imagine that only makes the financial pressures all the more. Jesus knows financial struggles. Jesus was an outcast amongst his peers. He was labeled a lot of things, oddball and weird. Jesus knows all about labeling. And do you struggle with loneliness? Many people do. My mom is a widow. She talks about how she struggles being alone. Widowers, married people, unmarried people, a lot of people talk about being lonely. Jesus knows loneliness. Jesus knows the pain of being unappreciated. He completely devoted his life to others. And yet, so few showed the gratitude. I think a lot of people here can relate to such a situation. You serve and serve and serve. You serve at work. You serve at home. You serve people. Serve and serve. And rarely are you appreciated. Jesus knows all about that. Has anyone ever slandered your name? Ever been gossiped about people talking behind your back? Welcome to Jesus' world. That happened to him time and time again. For the longest time, Jesus suffered rejection from his own family. Some of them thought he was even insane. So for us, Who also experience rejection from family members and have difficulties within family. Jesus knows all about that. Have you ever been abused? Physically, emotionally? Jesus is right there with you. Friends ever let you down, bail out on you, abandon us? Jesus experienced the same thing. And perhaps the greatest example of all, Matthew 27, 46, Jesus said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many of us have lived a life where sometimes we question, we ask, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you cold? Why are you distant? Why are you uncaring? Jesus knows all about those things. And Hebrews 14 says, he is a high priest who sympathizes for us. And he goes on to say that we can run to the throne of grace with great boldness to get relief, to get mercy, to get the help that we need. All of this is possible because Jesus is the priest. He is our great High priest who acts as a mediator for us. So, when it comes to heaven and eternal life, it must be that Jesus is our mediator. It's the only way. No other mediator will do. In an earthly courtroom, I suppose you could select any mediator you want, and it might work, might not work for you, but you have that option. In God's courtroom, that is not so. Jesus must be our mediator, and certainly, certainly you cannot represent yourself. That would be disastrous. No one is qualified to do that. You aren't qualified to do that. I could not be qualified to do that myself. No one is. The standard, God's standard for heaven is perfection. And all of us have fallen short of that mark. So if for some reason there is someone here today thinking, I think I can get my, on my own merit. I think I can represent myself and get myself in. Scratch that off your list. It won't work. Jesus must be the mediator. Certainly, I do not have to convince everyone of that, right? You know you're not perfect, is it? Right? I mean, that's obvious, like, if you followed me around this afternoon, you'd be able to go, out oh, right, right there, Doug, there, there's proof that you're not perfect. And, to be fair, I could follow you around this afternoon and probably find out, eh, look at that, that's not perfect as well. I mean, Jesus said it in the New Testament this way, and since we're all together, we can just ask one question. It says, to enter heaven, you basically have to do this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind all the time, every time, perfect, always. Have you done that? No. So there's no reason to even get to a second question, which was, and if you did that, then you must love your neighbor as yourself. And I know you haven't done that either. (laughs) Because I am just like you. There is no way to be our own mediator and on our own merit attain eternal life. We need a priest who can make atonement for our sins, not just any old priest, Jesus, our great high priest. I want to close with one more passage. It's in Hebrews chapter 7. And it's fabulous. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. In other words, priests are going to come and go, they're going to die. Another one appointed. Verse 24. But because he, Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. This is the kind of priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, because he's not a sinner, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. That's Jesus, our great high priest. Let's pray. Father, I just read passages like that. and I don't know. It puts a bounce in my step. It gives a, a hope in my heart and my soul of like, oh, wow, God, how, how richly you love us, how you knew we needed this mediator, and you have given us Jesus. Father, I thank you for eternal life through Jesus Christ, our high priest. And I thank you for Jesus Christ, the priest who is able to sympathize with us. We acknowledge that life is hard, it's broken, it has its struggles. And maybe it would just be good for us this morning to just silently think through, God, here here are my struggles. And then run to the throne of grace. Run to it. Because you promise to give us mercy and help in the exact time that we need it. So let's just for a few seconds do that. Think through your life, how God can help help you, how he can sympathize with you. Father, we can think through of so many things and, and we acknowledge that like those problems don't go away now that we've dwelt upon them and asked for you for your help. But I would ask by your Holy Spirit's help that you would convince us, remind us, encourage us, that the things of this world are temporary and the things to come are everlasting. Thank you, Jesus, for being our great high priest. It is in your name we pray, amen.